Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Building a Bridge. My name is Jesse Brizendine. My name is Jared Countess, and I do not have our mission statement up. Jesse, you, I fucked that up, didn't I? I have it. I just happen to have it right here. To empower people to use their voice to build a bridge. See, this is a teamwork, team effort. Yes, here. thank you so much. <laughs> our mission is to empower people to use their voice to build a bridge beyond race relations, creating unity and understanding effectively raising the collective consciousness of humanity. Jared and I are back after the Thanksgiving break. And just as a quick refresher, our last conversation we had was we talked about what we're thankful for, how perception influences emotions, beliefs, what happens when you interweave the perspectives and weaponizing our biology and the challenges of that. And then today, Jared, we kind of have a hodgepodge of ideas that we're going to focus on one or two of them in a short amount of time we have. So what do you think we should go with? So I like the feelings versus facts, right? So we talked about last year, perception and emotions and how that drives, right? Action, human behavior. So I think we can flow that right into how, you know, your perceptions become your truth, right? And that truth is facts, right? But it's all bled from an emotional place, right? And as, and, and as, and, and so our feelings, because it was the things we feel stronger about become our truths, become our facts, right? And, and, and then sometimes because we feel so strongly, we draw a hard line between our feeling facts, feeling facts <laughs> versus somebody else's feeling facts. And um, I think it, it, it could go right, right into what I talked about. Uh, the perfect example was uh, my friend who said, felt safer when Donald Trump was president of the United States. And that was his truth. Those feelings were facts for him. And he had all these things to support it. And I felt the opposite. Right? <laughs> and my feelings were facts for me. Right? And, um, and, and so then how could we have the complete opposite feelings and facts, right? And still call each other friends around that topic. Yeah. Right? You know, I, I might introduce this as an example. I, I was sharing with Jared before we started talking about, or before we started talking, I shared with Jared before we started recording. Jared and I were obviously <laughs> talking. Before we started recording this, this idea that I think one of the challenges we face right now is we, we are so emotionally reactive that we take feelings and we put them, we turn them into facts very quickly. And we do it on a barometer of, I feel so strongly about this, it must be true. I feel strong, strongly about this, it must be true. And I would think in some ways that's largely influenced on some of the things we've talked about before in earlier episodes where much of our basic survival needs are taken care of. Life and living, especially if you're in a first world country, we are afforded so many great conveniences. The four F's of survival, feeding, fighting, fleeing, and fucking, they're a swipe away where we can literally sit in our easy chair, swipe, and we can have food, sex, and everything else delivered to our doorstep. So in so doing, when those are usually our, our biolog biological parameters of emotional right, peaks, mm -hmm. where are we gonna get that emotional rise from? Because then we start to settle into this, everything else kind of feels neutral. And those of you who are in medicine, you know, when you get one of these on the heart monitor, that's not a good thing. And 
And we've all heard that we've all had these conversations in our life. I wish I was more excited. I wish I was happier. I wish I was this. I wish I was that. And, and what we're really saying is I wish I felt, I felt more strongly. I felt more passionately. I felt more intensely. And many of us will form dysfunctional patterns of behavior in our relationships and our work because not because we want to have dysfunctional relationships, but it's because we want to have the emotional response. You know, we, we pick fights with our significant others, not because we want to fight, but because we know that the, the makeup time afterwards is the best. Sex is more passionate. Communication is better. Love is more openly exchanged. So just putting that in as a lead-in, let's look at something where we attribute ultimate emotional fact to, which is usually love. I remember talking to a friend one time and saying, well, you just can't help who you fall in love with. I've been there myself many a times when after a relationship ends and going through the heartbreak of it, everything about the relationship is romanticized. And it's such a, it's such a black and white thing for me where it's all about how perfect everything was and these little what ifs if only the problem and the challenge with love is, 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 is it's the one we'll usually put on the pedestal. Like we just can't help who we fall in love and we romanticize it, right? I can't help who I fall in love. You know, love is this love is that. And I'm a huge advocate fan of love. I do believe love is ultimate superpower, but the falling in love piece, I, I would, I would caution an examination of that or encourage an examination of that because we have actually now, there's a study done of several years ago where this group devised a questionnaire, a set of questions. I think it's about 30 questions or so. And basically the, the purpose set statement of the questions is if you sit with a person and ask them in these questions and they answer truthfully, you will fall in love with them at the end of this thing. And they have done countless studies on it and it has been proven conclusively that with the right set of questions in the right setting you can and there was a, a author who did this really cool write-up on it and she was immensely skeptical with it met up with a stranger someone she didn't know who didn't seem like it was her quote-unquote type yet after going through the whole question process they found themselves engaging interacting in such a way and pretty soon they were in a relationship and they ended up dating for like a year and a half or two years it's i'll find it send it to you and what's interesting about this is it's not to demystify the beauty of love. What it is to offer as a perspective is that we can generate emotions based off of questions that are designed to evoke certain responses. And those responses invite a sense of vulnerability, trust, a different kind of engagement. Usually many of our lives, it's existed, it exists in this kind of superficial thing. We're looking at things as right, wrong, like, don't like, and we quickly dismiss that which doesn't serve us. And these questions are designed to go into greater depth and to evoke certain thoughts and feelings that we just traditionally wouldn't share, that we usually reserve only with the people that we are closest to. And even then we sometimes hold it back from it. So inevitably, when you go through that process and then you're gazing, you're instructed to gaze in the other person's eyes, which most of us, we are so uncomfortable with having this level of intimacy, holding eye contact with someone for longer than five seconds, try to do it with your significant other and just see if you can. It's quite uncomfortable for most. We are going to evoke that emotional response. This is important when we're looking at feelings as facts, because if we can hypnotize ourselves into falling in love in such a short amount of time, what else can we hypnotize ourselves or even be 
influenced into believing based off our emotional response, which then leads into this whole other conversation of what is truth? And Jared, you were saying you had a, a post going back from 2008 about that. So I, I, maybe we could start there. What is truth to you? So I asked this question to myself. Uh, it was like just before I joined the military um, because it was, I was, man, I was in such a introspective, deep place at that point in time. And um, I was really battling with it, right? Because, you know, in my mind, I was all of these things. And I believed all these things. And I felt like no one could see it, right? Or everybody thought I was, I had, in my mind, like the world wanted to put me in a box. I'm just going to explain, I'm explaining this guy, explaining this why I ask these questions to you guys. And so, um, that like everybody wanted me to be either this, you know, political revolutionary type of person, right? Who I was, right? I was working on the Obama campaign. I, you know, I was pushing people to be out there and be proactive and everything else. And, you know, I was a math major in college. And I, this, when I was in college, I was about to graduate senior in college. And I was this smart guy, well-spoken. But I was also a kid from Baltimore City who grew up with a drug addict mom and, <laughs> and all this other stuff. So I would be around people, right? And um, just trying to be myself, curse and whatever. And I was fucking, you know, I was in my early 20s and I had some issues. <laughs> right? <laughs> and so, but it was like, it was like, um, like, so people would actually say things to me like, Jerry, you can't say that. Like, look who you are. You can't say that, mm. right? Or like, they would like, look at me like, how could you be this in that? Like, does that make any kind of, am I making yeah. any kind of sense? Yeah. And I was like, what do you, I was like, and it, and, it, and it became this thing where I was like, well, I can't be both. I can't believe this in that. I can't play jazz music in my, in my, uh, in my, in my, in my, dorm loud <laughs> right and then call you a stupid motherfucker five minutes later <laughs> like i can't i can't i can't do that like that's not you know i gotta listen to rap and jay-z to be whatever right yeah. you know what i mean to be that way i gotta if i if i listen to classical music and jazz i can't i can't be rough and gruff i gotta be this Hmm. If I dress this way, I can't be this, right? Always dress different. I never wore it. At this point in time, I still never bought Nikes, right? And all that stuff. So I was always different, but I still grew up around this. Am I making any kind of sense? Yeah. yeah. And so for people, I was like two different sides to a book, right? And I was, and it was, it was, it was like people would perceive one thing. They would perceive math guy, Obama, uh, dresses a certain way, right? And their truth was he must act and talk and speak this way at all times. Is that, am I making any kind of sense? But that wasn't who I was. So I didn't act and talk and speak that way. It was who, it was a part of me, but it wasn't all of me. And so and I never hid the part of me that, that, 
walk the streets with, you know, other teenage kids that sold drugs or something like that. I never hid that, but I didn't exemplify it either. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Right. And so, um, and I never wanted to be it, but I had that language. And to a certain extent, I had that mindset. And so I was asking myself, well, what is truth? Right. Because this is my truth. This is my truth was all raw reality. My, my dad's a lawyer. My mom's a, a freaking heroin addict. Right. My, 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 some of my friends, you know, were on the path to become doctors and lawyers. Some of my friends were on the path to become assassins and et cetera. Does that make sense? Right. And so, and I had, and both had real friends on both sides, people that I could p- depend on on both sides, real heartfelt relationships on both sides. And so, Matter of fact, I probably had more heartfelt relationships on this side than I did on this side, to be honest, <laughs> right? If I'm being yeah. honest, right? You know, um, and, uh, and so um, it was just, and I was lost in college. I was lost because now I'm in a, in a realm where most of the people I'm around grew up either, most of them actually grew up in the one way, right? Where they, they had, the people that were around them were on the track. And then a few people kind of grew up the other way, right? A few. And had got out of that and were and were moving forward. Right. And it was just interesting to me. And so I was I was lost. Like I I, I saw people who grew up with a with a lot and a lot of opportunity and surrounded by um nothing, well, a bunch of positive influences, right? But still emulate streets not knowing what that life is like real in reality. Does that, am I making any kind of mm-hmm. sense on a day-to-day basis? And, and I was like, well, but because they had put this image forth, people perceived that as true for them. Hmm. When I knew of putting the right situation in crumble, does that make any kind of sense? Right. I knew like, if I put this, you're, you're falling apart. There's nothing there. Right. And I know it, hundred <laughs> percent. Like, hundred percent. I can can see it. But all of these other people perceive that to be true, right? And then working in politics, as I was, I saw the same thing, right? I was like, you pretend to be this. I've been in a closed room with you. You're not that. You don't believe that, right? And I was like, wow, like. Man, all of these people have painted these pictures of themselves and everyone believes it. This is the truth. So I was looking at perception and truth in terms of individuals, right? And the, and the, and the avatars that people had built and put themselves out into the world to be. And then everyone accepted that avatar as truth. But when it came to me, who was really trying to just express myself and live my truth, I was a puzzle. Like this, these two things can't be the same, right? It, it just can't be. And so it was, you know, I, I, I can't find it. It's in my notes somewhere from 2008. Maybe I'll post it to the group. <laughs> it's pretty deep. You'll, you'll guys will find out like, okay, Jared was like in some, like uh, some hippie, like <laughs> kind of death mode, but it, but it, it, it just, 
the 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 thing is that people what people see what they want to see yeah right and if it aligns with a certain image in their mind it becomes the truth and so people and when people have a perception of something that doesn't align with what they consider is their truth it really it 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 almost repulses them if that makes any kind of sense it's almost it's almost repulsive and um and i think you know i think my life's mission has kind of always been to sort of break that down to a certain extent <laughs> yeah so. it, it's an interesting it's an interesting observational opportunity for us i think jared where it's it's really considering what are our metrics we use to qualify truth you know how do we know something is true what is the what is the what is it that we're what is it that we're making our decision on that this is the truth it becomes visceral too though yeah like you like we literally look paint a picture have an emotion and having a visceral it becomes viscerally true that's why we get like i said we 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 get disgusted by it or we get repulsed when that is not the real truth that makes any kind of sense. We actually, it, it, a lot of times it does. Instead of, sometimes it intrigues people, but a lot of times, like the concept of, it, okay, a good example. Like we're both repulsed and intrigued, right? I think we are, but like it, it would take a lot. You watch, Uh, I'm trying to think of something universal that that people can kind of get down with. A little I'll give bit. you an example. So, okay, on Netflix, there's a there's a there's a show right now called I think it's called American Murder or something like that. And it's about this guy, and this just happened in 2018, I think, where he killed his wife and his two little girls. And the way his name was, God, was his name Matt something, but it was in Colorado. Or I, I know that story, yeah. but I didn't, I didn't know. Story so it starts off with uh, the wife had the wife. So the first story that we're all shown is the wife comes, had gone away to a, a workshop, came home. He had gone to work. He came back and her and her, the daughters were gone. And so it's the, he gets on camera, makes the public plea of my family's missing. You know, they show the pictures of the little girl, show the pictures of the wife. He seems like a normal, average, clean cut, safe guy. He seems emotional. And we think, my God, what's happened? This is horrible. The truth is, is that somebody has taken his, his family. We want them back. Some of us may remember this when it was a lady, I think her name was Susan Smith. And it, she was on there making the plea, crying on camera, all these things with her daughters, her kids missing. And it turns out later on that she'd driven a car into the lake with her kids in it and drowned them. And what ends up happening with this guy is we come to find out over the course of the documentary that what actually happened was that he strangled and killed his wife, that he had thought he had killed his daughters that were three and four years old only to find out he hadn't killed them. And then he puts the three of them in the car, the body of his mom, his wife, and then his two little girls, ages three and four, drives an hour with them 
buries, it takes the mom's body, dumps it, and then goes and suffocates his little girls in the middle of the day. And then dumps them and their bodies into a oil silo or something like that where they wouldn't be found. So there's our initial perception of truth based off of our visceral reaction. This isn't okay. This isn't. And so we've made a decision then for many of us when, depending on what emotions are stirred and how we perceive that person, you know, what are our qualifying metrics for truth, which is why it's so important that we ask these questions, because if our qualifying metrics are seems normal, seems safe, appears this way, whatever that is, we're going to make up a story in our minds then about what it is. And so then what ends up happening is you find out that this guy's actually quite a, a monster. And I, 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 it's, to me, it's so tragic and I, it doesn't even make sense because he's, he does seem very normal. There's all this Facebook posts, everything else like that. And then he starts having an affair and rather than leaving, he decides that he's going to just kill his wife and his kids. And it didn't seem like it was planned out anything like that. I, it's, it's, but that aside, so all of a sudden we have this new introduction of truth and that truth is often that truth may be based off of how we felt we were misled or we were cheated or we were lied to or whatnot. And so now that truth is going to be biased on that. And this is an important thing because what we, whether we realize it or not, we are turning feelings into facts all the time. And that's not to say some of those feelings may not be factual, but what it is to suggest is maybe some aren't as factual as we think they are. And we are often making decisions when we're in a highly charged, highly, highly charged emotional state because we feel so strongly because it pulls us out of this kind of, you know, normal day-to-day life where the four Fs of survival are taken care of and we get this charge. I can't believe somebody would take that man's wife and kids. They look like such a beautiful family. This is outrageous too. What a fucking monster that is to do that. And that's not to say neither of those are right or wrong feelings and labels or, or interpretations to have what it is to say it's is an opportunity for us to examine what are we what are we making true and ask ourselves questions how do we know it's true what are we using to qualify the truth on it do we know the whole story of this are we what perspectives are we considering to make this our truth is this truth based off of an emotion is it based off of what kind of data what kind of evidence are we using I, I like that, but I, I see the same thing. But the only issue with that is, as, as, a, as our analogy or example, is he is a fucking monster because he kills yeah. his kids. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, in, my, in my mind, like, I'm like, I like, I like, I understand where you're going. I'm, I'm thinking more of like when we like, when we paint a picture of somebody, like, and, and we, and our, and we like implant, like, we perceive them to be one way and then we, and then they turn out to be um, another, like we painted this picture in our mind, kind of like what you talked about with you love somebody mm-hmm. and then they do something that's out of character with the perception, the perception of the person that you love. And you're like, I don't love them anymore. Right. And, 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 and it's, and it's like uh, those, we do that we do that on a, on a mass scale, right? So like, okay, so to, here's my, here will be mine, right? Like the George Floyd thing happened, right? And visceral response, right? This is horrible. This guy, Derek Chauvin, what a horrible guy, right? 
police brutality is a real thing. It definitely negatively affects Black people, blah, 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 right? And we can come to all those, right, feelings, and we can, like, derive some facts from it, right? But then to expand it to say all police are bad, all police are pigs, all police are racist. Does that make any kind of sense? Mm-hmm. That's where we that's where we, we we probably put too much feeling and too much emotion behind it and built a false narrative. And I think we've done that. That's I think like I like looking at it that way because it's more applicable to, you know, what's going on right now. And I think like so we do it on an individual, we do it on a on a on a on a global thing. Like it makes me nervous to talk about. I think we do do it with Obviously, I mean, that's how serial killers work. That's how serial killers get down. They paint a picture. That's why your mom said, don't take candy from strangers. Because <laughs> right? yeah. yeah. somebody hands you candy, your feelings is they're safe and they're fun and they're nice. <laughs> when yeah. the facts would be quite different, right? And so, um, you know, but let, I, I, I like it in terms of, in, in terms of the application of, of what, what we're doing and how we're treating our fellow Americans when we have a feeling that we've made a fact, like this is my friend, so they must mirror my beliefs. Yes. And we've made, we've turned that feeling into a fact. And that is ultra dangerous because the only person that should mirror your beliefs is you. (laughs) Yeah. And when we do that, we put people on a pedestal that it's impossible for them to sustain. Yes. Right? Yes. And inevitably, yes. we're all going to be Humpty Dumpty in that scenario and fall and break into pieces. Yes. Right? And when we're doing that and we fall and break into pieces, which we will be some of that person's perception of us, they in turn may have put us on a pedestal that's so impossible to live up to that they are going to then feel so hurt and angered by that, that they will, rather than extending a hand to help us pick those pieces back up, they'll spit on them and say, fuck you, you deserve that. <laughs> <laughs> and then sweep them under the How could you not live up to yeah. what I thought you would yeah. be? Yeah, yeah. I had a feeling about you that yeah. you were this person and you're not. Yeah. You suck, therefore you suck and you're garbage. (laughs) It's it's fascinating because we do these things in different degrees and and it may not be like, I think that using extreme examples is great because there's something that we can immediately identify, yes or no one, and take what you can do with this and maybe everybody, because I know you have to jump off, Jared, we can can chunk it down for ourselves is is just look at how does this show up in smaller examples in your life? What is the truth? That, that was why yeah. I gave the example of what from college when I wrote that in 2008 and about to graduate because people knew me. They knew I was involved in the community. I was involved in the service act. I was doing, you know, I was working on the Obama campaign. I was really trying to be involved, really trying to be a light in other people's lives, but I was still fucking kid from Baltimore city. So when you, when you see all the things that I'm out there doing, but then you speak to me privately and you see like some of that stuff pops out. Right. And I just fell off that pedestal. I was Humpty Dumpty. Does that make any kind of sense? And so I went from like, so now you don't want to hear what I have to say because I have some, I, you know, I still have some of these things, 
right? I still have some of these views. I still have some conflicts because I'm imperfect. And I wasn't shy about showing my imperfections. And so, you know, and I could have painted and I, and I thought about it, like, and that's why I was in such a bad place. So I was like, oh, I can just paint a perception of me as being perfect, mm. right? And not show people my flaws, right? And I was like, I'll put you like this. I, I didn't really want to do that. <laughs> and but I but I did want to fix some of my flaws, so I joined the Marine Corps. If that makes any kind of sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, think I think Jared, that's something I think is so really incredible about you is you could recognize that and you saw you recognize that with yourself and you saw something that you thought would be helpful to work on that and so you did it. Yeah. I I I really wanted to I really wanted to make an impact, but I was I was still broken. I'm still broken. Fuck it, man. I am. Bro. We are. Like, we're all we're all all of us are just we all are in some degree wounded children running around. Yes. Yeah. I, I just wasn't I was like trying to help people and put stuff out there. People were like, Oh, this guy's so great. Then they meet me like Did he just say that? <laughs> like that was that was kind of ignorant. <laughs> Literally had people say to me, Jerry, you, you, you can't say that. You should, you know, you shouldn't curse when you talk. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck you mean I shouldn't curse when I talk? I fucking curse all the time, goddammit. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I love it. All right. Anyway, that's, that's, yeah. 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 All right, everybody. Uh, we got to hop off. Jared's got a, he's got a hard stop now. So, you know, things to think about what is truth to you? How do you know it's true? Uh, has there ever been a time that you thought there was truth to only to find out it wasn't truth? And you maybe just open up a discussion about that. It's a really cool opportunity for us to examine truth and how feelings influence good, bad, right, wrong, whatever that is for us influence what truth is. And then we will, See you all next week. Take care. Yeah. See you next week.